are listening to the Latter-day Ladypreneur Podcast. I'm Sarah Grace Allred, your host. Welcome to a sweet mix of interviews with business gurus, as well as solo episodes with me about the lessons, strategies, and inspiration that brought me from bumbling around in business to playing big in the fantastic arena of entrepreneurship. Look, the real magic comes when you and I get to talk business alongside the brilliant words of Esther, Nephi, and even Sherry Dew as we explore who we can become while we engage in this exciting journey as a woman of faith and an entrepreneur. Let's get started. Hey you, this is Sarah Allred. Welcome back to the podcast. It is interview week and boy, do I have something awesome in store for you. Okay, so you may be listening to this on the podcast on iTunes. You may be watching this on YouTube, but regardless, I have to tell you that the woman sitting across from me changed my life about a year ago. Okay, I was walking into Deseret Book and truthfully, I was walking in there to get a little kids puzzle for my kid. And this was right after kind of COVID had hit. And I, I was having them help me with this order. And I came across this book. And it was called Eve and Adam Discovering the Beautiful Balance. And it was by this Melinda Wheelwright Brown, who I did not know at the time. I am shameful to say I did not know who she was at the time. And this was my instinctive thought. Number one, I had had a baby a year before who I had named after Eve. Her name is Everly. And second, I thought, wait, how do you write a book about Adam and Eve when there's like nothing about them? That was my initial thought. And little did I know that purchasing that book would actually become the framework and the drive that allowed me to discover the heroine's journey, which we have been talking about. And it brought a fire into my soul, unlike any other book during COVID. And we are sitting across from Melinda Wheelwright-Brown. I'm going to call you Mindy because we're buddies, but we are here with Mindy and we get to chat. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you. So happy to be here. Thank you, thank you. So I want to dive straight into this whole thing of Eve and Adam, okay? You have got the most fascinating background. Would you give us a little bit of an introduction on just the home you grew up in? What were conversations yes. like around the dinner table? I mean, we, we've talked about this, but I think this sets the stage for how Eve and Adam, this book came about was your upbringing. So tell us a little yeah. bit about your world. Okay. So, um, I am one of five children. I'm the second oldest of five and my parents, um, were on the business track from way back in the sixties. Um, my dad, uh, has an MBA and a PhD and was a professor at both Harvard and Stanford university at their business schools and did a lot of consulting and a lot of book writing. And so we just grew up in a business family. Our dinner conversations were 100% of the time, some facet of business. It was like, I love like it. the gospel through a business lens, school through a business lens, everything was just kind of that business lens. And I actually, I joke that it's really in my genes. I, I think it is. Um, most of my siblings, I guess, 
well, three out of the five of us have MBAs and a couple have PhDs in business. You know, my sister's a dean of a business school. I mean, we just like it runs deep. And um, I actually ended up getting my degree in economics because I loved economics at BYU. But truth be told, it was like the easiest thing for me because I was like, why is everybody complaining about Econ 110? This is this is the way my brain works. This is the way I think. And and by the time I was starting my senior year, we'd had our first child, my husband and I. And so I just needed the direct path out. I needed the fastest way so I could graduate with him. And it was economics. And so I wrapped it up and and I loved it. And um, I never have directly worked in the field outside the home, but I have used it a million times. It's how I raise my children <laughs> with that same mindset. And um, I've been able to do a lot of nonprofit work that's involved, you know, that background and um, and investment things and lots of other things that it, it has been used very, very well, though not in maybe the traditional sense that many of my peers put their degree to work with. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I always joke, like, I feel like we are soul sisters in a a lot of ways when we talk about like genes, right? So my grandfather was a church historian, your people were, were business people. And I'm like, yeah, I grew up by age five, knowing about the things that people didn't know about, about the prophet Joseph and about (laughs) our church history, right? You knew supply and demand by the time, you know, you were out of diapers and it's great. It's so fun to see how those dynamics impact our family. And I would love to see what part of your growing up do you think sparked this project of this book? Because it's a landmark book. I really, really believe that. So kind of you to say. Thank you. How did this connect? Like, where did it come from? Well, I think if I had had time at the university and even known how to do this, I might have studied how to be a detective. Like, I really wanted to do detective big mystery solving like that was just a real passion of mine and um I think there is something in that entrepreneurial business mind and and I mean this is in your wheelhouse but that just makes you want to figure out like where is the root of this problem coming from yes what are the issues here and where's the solution like let's figure out how to fix these things you know, I see these problems. I see these gaps. In my case, the gap I was really aware of is I was saying, I'm quite sure of what I think our doctrine is, but I'm also seeing what our culture looks like. And and I mean that broadly, but also within the church. And I just felt like there was this gap. And I was thinking, where where is this gap coming from? Is there a gap? If there's not a gap, then I got to get better informed and I have to decide what am I going to do about that? Because I'm not really comfortable with that. If this is in fact what our doctrine is that I'm seeing played out in the big broad world and in women's experiences, you know, through time and internationally and all the things. Um, But if there is the gap, why is there the gap and why haven't we narrowed it? Why aren't we doing a better job exemplifying our incredible doctrine? Because I really have felt for years now, like if we were living our truth really effectively and efficiently, we would not be able to keep up with the demand on the gathering. I mean, it would be pouring in because our doctrine is so unique among um, empowering 
just the beautiful balance of the male female interdependence and what is it supposed to look like. And um, wow. so I just, those are the things I, I just wanted to get to the bottom of that first okay. and foremost for myself, really. So it, it became it a personal study at the beginning. Definitely. And, and something I want to pull in, especially for our listeners here is I think sometimes we get stuck trying to fight our doctrine to understand women when and I lived in Louisiana for four years during residency. Mm-hmm. I actually learned in through that experience that our doctrine was the greatest, greatest champion of women. Yes. And that is why you are here is that was the tone of when I read that book. And now I'm like, oh, now I know why I named my daughter after Eve, because <laughs> <So awesome. laughs> because of yes. this, um, where were the gaps? Like, my perception as a newly endowed person, because my education of Eve came from the temple, mm-hmm. was that um, there was a lot of finger pointing. That there was a big mistake that happened and it was a lot of like, who's the scapegoat, right? Like, nope, Lucifer, nope. Th- 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 there was a lot of finger pointing. That was my gap. Is that a common gap for women? And what gaps were you seeing as you studied? Well, I was definitely seeing that broadly. And, and I will say that, where I started out wasn't within the church realm so much. It was much more the big world, um, nonprofits I was working with and involved with and things I was seeing that, that seemed like, are you kidding me? I thought that was like ancient. This is still going on. Why can't we fix this? This is craziness. And, and so then it was realizing that, you know, even the broader world has really demonized Eve um, in, in such false, unfair ways that are so sticky, just, just have stuck Mm. like crazy. And I mean, that's been through multiple things. It has to do with the way that the old Testament was translated and kind of the Midrash and rabbinic traditions of, of all those hundreds of years was that's being formulated and pulled together. And then you have when it's being translated into Latin, which was preceding the English translation, you know, one of the most glaring issues was there's no apple mentioned in that story. But the reason the apple came into it is because that was a play on words in Latin because apple in Latin is this word malum and it's homonym means evil so you know oh you can God. see these scribes thinking oh i got the perfect thing we're gonna call the fruit an apple because look at how perfectly it's like this great symbolism of this evil awful thing she did and oh, we know that is so inaccurate she was introducing life she was opening the doorway she was serving as proxy for every single one of us who needed this mortal realm to experience these things. And in so many ways, you know, ultimately agency was fundamental to the entire program. The, the whole plan is built from the on beginning. agency from the very beginning, very yes. beginning. Amen. And and the and then the atonement and our savior really came in second to agency because that's the way to make it fit. That's the way to make it work. So we can learn from our experiences without being condemned by them. That's a phrase that Elder Hafen coined in a fabulous talk called the atonement all for all. And if you haven't heard that lately, it's so great. And that's really the key. And when you see it that way, you realize 
Eve is like right there next to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in fact, one of the things I love that I think is such a great illustration of that is that they share a title really that is unique to the two of them, which is life. Her Hebrew name is Hava, which means life. And we know that Christ is the light and the life of the world. What an honor to share that name. I mean, she truly is the mother of all living because she opened that door where the rest of the world and so much of Christianity, but not just Christianity. I mean, everybody knows Eve's story, right? It doesn't even matter if you're a a self-labeled Christian or whatever, you know, this story. Um, And they, they just see that, oh, she blew it. She introduced death and I mean, yes, you pick up one stick and you're going to get life and death with (laughs) the mortality stick, but she introduced life. The garden was a static state. And, and that's a really crucial piece of our doctrine. that I think so many members of our church don't realize that that is unique to us. Other religions, Christian religions, especially believe that they could have had children in the garden. They could have stayed in the garden. They were meant to live out their life in the garden. To us, that, no, like we get, no, they had to leave the garden. That nothing was happening Okay, so can I pause you there for that moment? Yes, yes, yes. Because I would imagine, we don't know that. I personally didn't know that people outside of my faith believe that the garden was the end goal. Yeah. What? Yes, that that is absolutely. I've talked to so many different people, everybody I know who are in different religions in the last five years, I found the occasion to say, okay, tell me what you think. Like, give me your interpretation of the Eve story. And always it's, we'd be living in paradise if she hadn't blown it. It's kind of that idea. And I think, oh, no, we would be stalled. We, We would, I mean, we'd still be waiting. Quite literally stalled. Right. I mean, yeah, very <laughs> literally stalled. It's like a car in neutral. That's how Elder Collister has defined it. He says, you know, until she put that car into gear, nobody was going anywhere. We were just stalled. Mm. So, so with your relationship with Eve, and I mean that very sacredly, I would imagine you. you feel deeply connected um, to her with the the work that you have done to come to know her. When you think of that moment, and I want to call it the apple moment, but I'm like, that's the wrong word to use. Clearly, when this moment, this symbolic moment happens, what is the word that you use to describe it? Is it a mistake? Is it a choice? How do you define this moment? Yeah, I would definitely, definitely call it a choice. I think one other really important piece of this puzzle that we're not well-versed on in in the church, but there is plenty of evidence for, and it is all in my book, all the quotes. I I don't want any of this to feel like the gospel according to Mindy. This is like all backed up with uh, prophets and apostles and general authority statements is that um, we know, and this part is like, we get this, is that knowledge is a prerequisite of agency right? That's why we baptize our children at the age of eight or later, but not before, because there has to be at least a basic level of knowledge. Now that doesn't mean we need to be savvy. You know, it may be kind of the difference of book smarts and street smarts, but at least a basic understanding. And my very favorite statement about this is from Elder Holland, who always says it like it is. He always has the favorite statement. He's amazing. (laughs) And so in his book, Christ in the New Covenant, he just lays out 
just straight out. She had been taught and was informed enough to understand that the way would be prepared, that when she was ready and felt brave enough and felt like it was the right thing, that there would be a savior to fill in those gaps in one sense, to, to make the agency work, to be that complementary piece of atonement at one minute and agency. It would all work out if she chose to do that. And a huge piece of what happened in the garden really was all about preserving her agency, making sure that it was her choice 100%. Because you know, and you know, you have several children, I have several children, everybody's got that one child that if they know what mom or dad thinks is the right choice for them, they're going to do it because they're just such yeah. a good kid. Right. And right. you know, even Adam were those model children. They were the ones who were so stalwart and so, um, so working toward goodness and learning and growth and all these things that if they'd had any sense of, oh, this is what's the right thing, this is what we're supposed to do, their agency would have been taken down some notches because they were going to do it because that's just how they loved their heavenly parents. And so there had to be enough uncertainty in the garden that it truly was her choice. So she did it when she was ready and she could never turn back and say, well, I didn't really choose it. Like I felt like I had to, or somebody made me the finger pointing you know? moment. Yes. yes. And, and yes. isn't it so crucial when we make our big life decisions, I don't know about you and your listeners, but for me, I really like to have the witness for myself because I never want to get to a point when it gets tough because it will, everything yes. gets tough that I will turn back and say, well, you made me do that. I didn't actually choose that. This is your fault that I'm in this predicament, right? And it's right. like parenting now. Like I, in the biggest choices my kids are making, I'm saying, oh, don't look at me. This one, yes. you got to figure this one out because I don't want to have the burden of this choice down the road when it gets hard because it will, no matter what, it will be hard. And we know and, what is down the road for her. Yeah, yes, it will, exactly. Exactly. And, and I mean, so she's, she, it had to be hers. It had to be her choice. I, and, and that I will say is a little bit of Mindy Midrash there where my interpretation is it had to be her choice given what she was opening the door to. I mean, I, you know, we know women have had it really hard and in large part because her story has been misinterpreted and misapplied and, okay. and damagingly applied. Okay, Not always we, innocently. This is so fascinating to me. And I, I want to ask you specifically about this thing because mm -hmm. someone may be listening right now and they may be like, I don't feel like I understand her story, but I also don't see how it matters. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't bother me. It doesn't impact my day to day. Yeah. How has understanding her story, like how has it impacted you personally? And then what does it mean for women? Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? Well, personally, um, it's, it's immense. Like I just have really come to recognize that all of mortality's challenges in some way or another are answered in their story. And, and I do mean theirs because they are like the quintessential couple in my mind that like mortality's quintessential couple, they did everything together so beautifully. So, so it's not that I am discounting Adam in any way when I focus sure. on Eve, but absolutely. Um, but 
I do feel like their story is the story of receiving and applying the atonement to their lives, which is what we're all trying to do. That's the whole point of mortality and growth and transformation. It's that process of becoming. And one of the interesting things and the differences between how different faith traditions um, examine their story is they see it very much as events, like maybe five main events, and they could rattle them off if you stop someone on the street, yes. right? Yes. And, and those events are just like, boom, 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 done, the end. That's their story. We see it as a process, and we also see that the Savior was involved in every stage of that process. Between every one of their points, one, two, three, four, five, he's there in all the different pieces, right there side by side with them. I mean, this is the collaborative effort and it had to be, it had to be. The whole plan hinged on this collaborative effort between the three of them, really. I mean, it's, it's quite a spectacular undertaking. It is spectacular. My mind is going like a million miles an hour. And I'm like, oh, and I've even read your book. Wait, wait, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> so this is good. This is good for all listeners alike. Um, do you sense that there is any form of abandonment in her story? Is she abandoned by God, the father and Jesus Christ? Are they abandoned as a couple? And again, I'm going back to my first time in the, in maybe in the temple or making it feel like that there is an abandonment and that's probably the wrong word. Yeah. Uh, I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way. In fact, like I see leaving the garden a little differently than a lot of people do. Right. Scholars will often talk about, they were cast out. They were expelled there's you know huge artwork from the renaissance about the expulsion that's angry and and dark and awful and in fact you know the the prevalent phraseology in the scriptures is they were driven out which i see more like when i drive my children to the airport to send them back to their homes or to college or to study abroad where it's this it's this sweet tender experience where i'm looking wow. at that space of okay i know you have to leave soon you've made the decision you want to go do this it's good for you you're going to learn doing this and now I'm going to take the time driving to the airport to tell you everything I think maybe I forgot to tell you that you might need to know. Right. And, um, and just be sure that I've helped every way I can. But another really beautiful piece of it is even though they left the immediate presence of deity, when they left the garden in a very real sense, the Lord went with them and it wasn't long before they're hearing the voice of the Lord and, you know, angelic messengers being that go-between to keep giving them those messages. They, they, I really don't see them as having been cut off, but like I said before, there had to be enough uncertainty and yes. agency preserved and protected that it was their choice. And so, you know, just like sometimes our kids maybe feel like, mom, why would you just tell me what to do? Oh, that's just not our, that's it's not, not the, the point. job. That's not the point. That's exactly yeah. right. Not the point. That just yeah. changes everything for me because I, I love that kind of symbolism that like, I don't want to get used to understanding my father and my savior as someone who abandons when I make choices. That is not yes. who I believe them to be. Oh, 
That is not who they are. That is not how I know them. And so I think we grapple with that where, you know, sometimes people say that the angry God of the old Testament, Mm. and, you know, we use all those phrases and sometimes you have to sit like you did before writing this book and say, I've got a gap here. Yeah, I don't understand. And that's where these incredible, I mean, yours is a product, so to speak, this incredible book comes from, but that discovery from within. Well, I think that's right. And I I didn't quite finish answering your previous question. Let me just try to touch on that quickly. So I don't leave everybody hanging, but, but for me personally, it has made my life so much happier. Just, I I was, I was not a sad person by any means. I've been really blessed with a happy disposition. But on a daily basis, I feel like oh, it's all good. It like this is this is mortality. It's supposed to be hard, and this is a good hard. I can do this, and and I can turn to the Savior and do it with Him. I've got the Holy Ghost to help me, to guide me along. I've got so many great guides, at, you know, angels on both sides of the veil, helping guide me through this. Like this is exactly what it's supposed to be like. We can do it, even in the thorny patches. It, we can find joy. And that's really Eve's legacy, right? Is to, I mean, our, our additional scripture in Moses, to hear her voice in 511 testifying that we can find joy even in the rough spots. That's huge. That should change every one of our lives every day, every day. And certainly as women across the board, I would love to see us embracing that and exemplifying that and sharing that message with all of our sisters worldwide and all of our brothers. This is not just a message for sisters. It's for everybody and fixing the damage that has been done by that misapplication, because obviously we are like hamstrung. We humanity, the human family right now has one arm still tied behind our back. If we could get it out and use the hands together, oh my goodness, look at how our productivity would increase. And, and not only that, it's, it's more than one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals five. When you do it this way in this divine partnership with the Lord in there as well, I mean, the sky's the limit. We could do anything. Oh, I can't imagine a world that way. I mean, it feels so thrilling. It would be thrilling. And that's why we have that opportunity to, to ask ourselves like, where, where is this thought coming from? Where is this oppression? Maybe I feel an oppression of women. Like, where is this coming from in my brain? And Mm -hmm. you explored that through Eve and we invite our listeners to do that. Like, where is this coming from so that we can fill those gaps? And I I look at gosh, if we view the Adam and Eve story in such a different manner, all all of a sudden it becomes a story of mistakes and, and, and a a marriage that is not working together and abandonment. And, and what does that bring to a woman and a family? If she feels like God abandons harmful, right. And the decisions are her fault and that is damaging. And maybe it is damaging in those misinterpretations And yet you have ushered in this story that is of choices and of a humanized parent to child relationship of you can do this. 
and courage. I mean, it was everything about faithful courage. It was her faith put in the right place in her savior that she knew was there for her. She knew him personally and her heavenly parents. She, she felt so supported. And so she bravely stepped forward knowing I've got all humanity behind me. I mean, this, I've got to open this door and it's a good door to open, even though it's, there will be ugly. There will, there will be really hard things. Yes. It's yes. still going to be worth it because, you know, I, she just, I believe she understood so well that the Lord truly could keep his promise that he could make everything work for our good. And that's what I think she was hanging on to. She just knew it's okay. I can do it. Can you imagine how brave she was? Just phenomenally brave. It's so exciting to think that's our heritage. That is our mother that we all go like a line back, you know, however many generations that is our mother. And she was taught by her heavenly parents. I mean, they had divine tutoring, both of them. And so just think where she, where she learned that, where did she get those characteristics, that faithful courage and that understanding and her intelligence from our Heavenly Mother and, and Heavenly Father, both of them. I mean, this was a foursome learning these things and having this experience in the garden, tutoring. What a spectacular time. I wish we knew more of that, but, but yes. that I can't wait to, to learn more about that piece. I'm, I'm thrilled. I've got a big list of questions, but oh, I can't be one I'm of like, them. <laughs> can I sit by you while you ask those? Because I don't know the questions to ask it, but I'll sit by you while you ask those. <laughs> I love it. It will be awesome. I love that so much. And I, I love the fact that it, to me, when I got to know her through your work and through the scriptures, uh-huh. that that she never looked back. I think that's true. That ability to be courageous, like she made the choice and she dove full in. It was like, here we go. I have the faith that this, that, that I will be supported in this. And it's just such a hopeful feeling that joy was not something that is being saved for the millennium. That is not being saved. Like it's now. Yes. We are meant to feel it now all along the way. It is not a finish line event. It is a process right now thing. Oh yeah. Well said. Mindy, 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 Mindy. It's awesome. It is so awesome. And, and it being a a story filled of hope is such a new thing for me personally, and maybe for other listeners. Mm -hmm. Now, can I pick your brain for a minute about what this story and, and the misconceptions Mm -hmm. may teach us about partnership and marriage? That relationship between Eve and Adam and, and what you have learned about marriage roles, partnership, like what has been that experience for you? Yeah, that, that is such an important piece of this story for sure. And I will share a little experience that I had that was hugely powerful to me in the actual writing process. Um, I had spent two years researching, very devoted, two solid years of research, reading everything I could get my hands on. And then I had one year kind of planned out, like this is the writing year. And about halfway through that year, I was about halfway through the book. And I think we ended up with it as about chapter four is a chapter called Side by Side, where we really kind of introduced that relationship. And it had been flowing. I mean, it was hard. Writing is always hard. It's never easy, but it had been coming and I was making daily progress. And 
um, I came to a point where I just really felt stymied and it was very strange feeling to me. And I thought, what is going on here? Is this what people talk about writer's block? You know, is that what I'm experiencing? And I did some soul searching to figure out maybe what was happening. And I felt really strongly that actually I needed to go back to my books a bit and, and either find a missing piece about Adam or understand it better. Ultimately, my under, my, the, what I recognized was missing was my own testimony of their interdependent relationship was not solid enough and strong enough to be allowed to go forward at that point. And so I stopped writing for about a week and I went back to all the places that had kind of the best Adam pieces and the pieces of both of them together and reviewed those and prayed about it. And it was amazing, but I, it was like this quantum leap, like this, this clear, oh, I missed a few pieces and I get it better now. And when I crossed some nebulous sort of line, I sat back down to write and boom, like from there, it just really flowed nicely. And it was a clear, clear experience for me that I will never forget that partnership is where it's at. So where were those evidences of partnership? Where did you witness that? Where did, how did you hang on to that? There's not a ton written. I mean, that's my feeling. There's not a ton, but um, actually President Nelson years ago gave a great talk about what some of the things that we learn in those 16 verses of the beginning of Moses five, which are unique to our scripture that we would think of that as a piece of Genesis that most likely had been removed because it's not there. And after that, it would go back to the Genesis story kind of pretty much in line. And so we have these 16 verses that are huge and, and in there, and I won't be able to rattle these off without pulling out notes and things, but there are basically five things that he, uh, Elder Nelson at the time, delineated of they're doing this together. They're doing this together. They're doing this together. Basically, they did everything together. Oh, it was cool. together. And that was, um, I mean, that was just hugely enlightening. And the thing is, once I realized that in their relationship, I could then see it in all the other great partnerships. I started to recognize like, oh, that's because they are truly interwoven. They're not just living parallel lives. It's not just, oh, brilliant man, brilliant woman, both hard workers, both choosing the right, going along their way in tandem. It's interwoven. And like I share a story in the book that something my husband kind of enlightened me to with with medical partnerships and just how crucial it is that we save, you know, we can do our different things and and you're a physician's wife, so you get this, like I've experienced, we have to be independent. We never would have made it through the whole no. training process and everything we else. We would not be we talking. Were. No, no, <laughs> you, you have to be independent in so many realms, not just with physicians, families, but, um, but you still have to save enough of your peace, of your energy and your interest and all the things yes. for each other. And so, yeah, you can go do all the other things during your work day and he's doing his and his work day. But when you come together, even if it's only for, 20 minutes at night before you're both conked out and exhausted, 
you've got to weave it together and you've got to be interdependent and intertwined. And when you do that, it's like this exponential growth. You're just so much more effective at all the other things you're doing. And you can each be doing your thing in your space better because you're doing it together. So critical. Okay. This is critical. And my wonderful entrepreneurs that are listening right now, we are constantly looking for what we call common denominators. So like, what's the common denominator for people who really are able to grow on Instagram? What's the common denominator for people who boost attendance for trainings and webinars? What's the common denominator for, for this person who collaborates in this way? And we always look for those commonalities. And something I want to point out here is the things that you're talking about here, this is not an old fashioned story. Yeah, this no, story not at is all. hugely relevant. Fresh, this totally is, modern. It is so, I love that word modern. It is so modern. And, and yes, business tactics change and grow and the world changes and women are being asked of different things now. And, and I believe all of that. And I also believe these common denominators are full-blown modern. Mm-hmm. full blown. So I love that you bring that um, to the table that, that we, do we view them as just parallel lives? Um, yeah. If you picture that all they're doing is sitting there smelling flowers and, <laughs> and right. And yeah. petting the sheep and like, is that what we're <laughs> envisioning them? At? No, they are. This is a marriage. Yeah. This is a marriage. Um, was there anything that you feel like when you learned about your relationship that kind of surprised you? My relationship with my husband? With between Adam and Eve. Between Adam and Eve. Okay. As you studied them as a couple and what happened before, the, I, I don't even want to call it the fall now. I want to like call it yeah. the springboard. <laughs> oh, really I love awesome. that. Yes. Let's rename it. Please you got it. Sarah, that's your next project. <laughs> the springboard. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So fall forward and upward. That's right. Um, Well, I think one of the things that's really interesting, there's a fabulous book by uh, some Protestant faith tradition, but a professor named Carol Myers, who's taught at Duke Divinity School for years called Discovering Eve. And there's actually an updated version called Rediscovering Eve. Mm -hmm. And she really helps you understand kind of the historical trajectory beginning in an agrarian society what a relationship between a husband and wife looks like, say like in a farming community and and a family like that. And then when that transitioned kind of into the industrialization and moving to cities and how things changed then, and then you see, you know, what would have happened say in the United States, like in the time that the church is being organized and uh, we have saints coming over from uh, Great Britain and all these other things happening and what was going on historically, like you can kind of see where, even beginning at a modern place in this fresh relationship, it shifted through those historical twists and turns and we're coming back up out of it now. So if you go back to the beginning and you picture them in more of an agrarian society and culture, it's easy to recognize. And I love studying the, the Doctrine and Covenants right now because we see this in, you know, the Knights marriage and the Harrises yes. and um, Lucy and Joseph Sr. and Joseph and Emma. In those relationships, there is no doubt this is an 
integral partnership. You must have both mm-hmm. pieces because there is too much work to be done and it requires everybody giving 100%. And when I think when I read Carol's book and got that really good background historically and even anthropologically is really what she was talking about, it made so much more sense to me that that's where they were beginning And I mean, it's like Lehi and Sariah, the same sort of thing as they're journeying through the wilderness. And that beginning portion of First Nephi, we see an incredibly powerful um, couple who's very interdependent. We hear Sariah's voice. She's speaking out. She's working with Lehi. They're in this together. The children see them as a duo that are guiding them and leading them. And, you know, that's it. I think that's a really good parallel to recognize that that was kind of the basis for it. And what happened later was sort of a tarnishing. It was a building up of layers of dust and grime that we need to remove all that to see what what the true beginning was. And so I think that part was really enlightening to me. I didn't know that I'd be getting kind of into anthropology type of thoughts on it, but I think that really does play into it. I I agree. And you can see the patterns, like you said, in church history with DNC now. And that that's really where I love to kind of wrap this interview where um, look for the evidences of women being great. Yes, we have so that much. sounds so basic, but yes. where are the evidences? And and that's why, I mean, I literally like put you to the top of the list Aww. of people that we were going to interview because I'm like, fit her in now because this is so foundational for these entrepreneurs and women who feel like maybe they're breaking barriers and maybe they're doing things that are scary, that it yeah. actually is the common denominator from yes. Eve and from these stories that you have brought to life. Yes. And you know, if I can add one little thought to what you just said that I think would really speak to your audience in particular is I've had so many interesting conversations with readers over the last year. And my very favorites that are so encouraging to me are from men who come to me or who message me or send me an email or send me a letter, whatever, track me down to say, thank you so much for giving me the vocabulary and the words to help my wife, my daughters, my sisters understand what I've been trying to tell them. You you are equal, like we have to do this together. Please don't listen to whatever messages you're absorbing from the greater world. And by that, I mean the lesser world, but (laughs) the outer world that are sinking into you because they're wrong. They're wrong. I know they're wrong. And it's so exciting to think there actually are so many of our brothers who get this, but, but we need to like connect and be like, okay, yeah. Oh, you get it. I get it. Okay. Let's move forward now and forget the garbage that's being fed to us. So that's a huge piece of it. I think. I love this. And you are just such a gift in this arena. I just, I cannot (laughs) Thank thank you enough for sitting here and combing through some of the stickiness of what can feel like exists in this story of our mother, of our mother, the mother of life of all living. And I, I believe this message is meant for all women and my entrepreneurs. She is your absolute idol. She paved the way for these great things that they wish to accomplish. So Mindy, thank you so much for being here. I just, I'm like, 
every person that listens, find your way to, to, to discover Eve and Adam and what that brought to our world and what it can bring into your home. So thank you again so much for your time and for being here. Thank you. Latter-day Ladypreneur is brought to you by Sarah Grace Live, audio work done by Rachel Johnston. Huge thanks to the Sarah Grace Live team for pursuing our dream of Esther 414. Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Playing big in business is an incredible road to you becoming who God created you to be. Find coaching, classes, community, and my key strategies to playing big in the show notes and at sarahgracelive.com. Thanks for listening. 